from Ezra chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, open it to Ezra 2. Most of the verses will be on the screen to follow along. But we're studying one of the great revivals of the Bible where God is going to take the nation of Israel who has been in exile for more than 70 years and He's now going to lead them back all the way back to Jerusalem so they could rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls and reestablish the city of Jerusalem that was destroyed whenever Israel went into rebellion against God. Their hearts were no longer for the Lord. They were kind of half in and half out, mostly out. God brought discipline to the nation of Israel. And He deported them through the King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire. They were deported out uh, to Babylon, modern-day Iraq. When they were taken there, God had already pronounced judgment upon them that they would be in exile for 70 years. But God had not forgotten about His people. This was a corrective measure. This was not an extermination. God corrected them, gave them 70 years in that space, and now He was going to, by His mercy and grace, lead them back. Ezra chapter 2 is the account of who went. Chapter 1 says that God stirred up the spirits of people, the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, to sign the decree that would allow him to go back. God stirred up the spirit in people to want to go back and rebuild. And not everybody did, but people that responded to God's calling in their life, they are the ones that are, whose names are written in the chapter 2 that we can see that went back for this rebuilding project. But God's interested in people. I want you to don't, don't miss that part. I know oftentimes if you're in your Bible reading, if you glance right now at Ezra chapter 2, it's like, oh my, what's he going to do with this? Because it's a chapter full of names. And those are usually the parts, if you're reading through your Bible, you kind of skip those chapters. It's like, I can't pronounce all those. I don't even know what all that's about. But there's a lot goes on with the list of names. And here's what we're going to see today. Ezra chapter 2 verse 1 is God's, God is in the business of dealing with people. Okay, don't miss this. Ezra 2.1. Now, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away to Babylon, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. Now, this entire chapter, or most of this chapter, is a name list. And I find that fascinating in the scope of the whole Bible. Because if you look at chapter 1 of Genesis, is the only long, full version account of creation, one chapter devoted to the creative account, and the rest of the Bible is dealing with people. God is intimately interested in you. He created you. He has designed you the way that you are, the way you look, your personality features, everything that is about you, the circumstances that has brought everything up to your life even to now, God has seen all of that, knows exactly all about it. God sees you. You are not invisible to God. In fact, He is so intimate about this that the entire Scripture text would be God's account relating to man so that we can see how does God deal with mankind? And we can learn the, the characteristics of God and watch His virtues and how He, uh, how he loves and his, grants His mercy and gives His grace, how He corrects and He guides and how God protects, how God hears as the psalm that we read this morning already. And when He hears our prayers, God is an intimate God. And God's in the business of relationships with people. God's desire is that all people everywhere would spend eternity with Him in heaven. 
God gave His own Son that that would be so. The, The Son of God paid the sin debt for all of mankind. Sadly, though, not all of mankind believes on the Lord. Not all of man hears the gospel and receives the gospel. People want to live, as Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and they don't like the light. But God's desire is that all men everywhere come to know Him and be with Him. It's interesting that this account gives a list of names. And God specifically calls out the family units, the heads of the fathers of each particular tribe or group of people. But what about your name? Is it recorded anywhere? Does God have it written down? We can see the accounts of all these others for the the history span of the Bible, but what about now? Well, The Scripture teaches me that God has a book. In fact, Jesus makes the statement when He sent out the 70 to go do ministry on a short-term mission trip, He made a statement to them when they returned. He said in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, He said, Your names are written down in heaven as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. This truth is affirmed again in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, where it says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. There's another account in Revelation 17 that refers to the Lamb's book of life. In Revelation chapter 20, I want to show you again, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the heaven and the earth fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, but by the things which were written in the books. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God has a book. Well, what's recorded in this book? In God's book is the account or the record keeping of all of those who are overcomers, as we just saw in Revelation 3. Those names that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who by faith have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, I just thought of this in 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse 4. Um, let me get to there real quick. It's not going to be on the screen. Hang on. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So now who are the overcomers? Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So I can piece these things together to recognize that all who by faith trust on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your name is recorded for eternity, in the book of life. And this is so critical because at the last judgment, at the great white throne, which this is not the believer's judgment, that's not for you. If you're a Christ follower, this is not a judgment for you. The great white throne I just read about in Revelation 20 is where all of those who have rejected God through all of these years, for the last 6,000 years of human history, said no to God, no to Jesus, They are brought now before God, and it says that the books were opened, and they're judged according to these books, plural. But these are the books that have the the record of their works. 
So oftentimes people say, well, I feel like I've done good enough to be able to be in the presence of God, to be able to be in heaven with God. Well, according to Revelation 20, when you're judged by your works, you're going to come up empty. Because none of us have works that can pay God back for the sin and violation that we've committed against God. The Lord Jesus Christ, He is the one who performed the perfect work, and that is the work of the cross to pay our sin debt for us. But if we watch careful in Revelation 20, it said that anyone not found written in the book of life was then cast to the lake of fire because there's one book that matters. They opened up all the books and people were then judged by their works and came up empty. But another book was opened and there was a record kept here and the name's not written there. So my question to you today is God cares about your name. He cares about you very specific, individually. Is your name written in the book of life? It's a very simple question. And the answer to it would be is, have you by faith trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if so, I can tell you on the authority of Scripture, your name is written in the book of life. Praise God. But if you have said no to Jesus and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and you keep putting that back or somehow you think that your works are going to be sufficient enough for the day, I'm going to tell you right now, Revelation 20 makes it clear. You will be judged by your works. But your name is not in the book of life. And what did it say? And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast to the lake of fire. It's eternal judgment and separation from God because you've done bad things? No, because you said no to the Savior. The one who gave his life to save you from your sin, you said no. And so today, I pray you say yes. If your name's not in the book of life, make today be the day your name is recorded in the book of life. In, Re in Ezra chapter 2, Every name that is recorded in this obviously has a purpose. And one of the fun things, if you ever want to take a whole lot of time to look up every individual name and what does the name mean, it's quite a study. It'll take you forever. But it's really fun because you'll see stories packed into these texts whenever you see these name lists. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to do that to us today. But I am going to show you some things of how God organizes and how God chooses out to give order, organization in order to his purpose. He is calling out a group of people to go back and rebuild. Is the focus the building or what will happen in the building? It's what happens in it. Now this building represented God. Matter of fact, people of the nations of the world, when Solomon built it, they came to see the glory of God in this building, this temple that is now laying in ruins. So this building matters. But it's what happens in that building is what really mattered because that was the place where the priests did their, their work of sacrifice and it was the place where God would meet with the nation of Israel at, in this spot. So that what happens in it is what matters most. It's what Jack was describing. It's, it's not about the lights and the seats and the aircon and all the trappings of the music. No, those things are really helpful and nice. It's the worship. And this is where Israel had strayed off in the first place, is the heart was not for the Lord, bowing their knee in one moment to one God and bowing their knee to the next moment to the God of heaven, a divided heart. In Ezra chapter 2, verse 2, God's going to lead first a leadership team. 
Those who came with Zerubbabel were Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reeliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Baana. This is the leadership team with Zerubbabel being the governor now. He's not the king. He's a governor. And he's going to be the one kind of construction management running this, running this project. Each one of these guys have specific role. In fact, Jeshua is the priest who's going to set the workmen in order, but he's going to reestablish how the order of the temple is going to work for worship. Rehum is one of the chancellors, a guy very skilled in legal matters. And they're going to have some legal problems, and so he's going to be the guy jumping into the legal things when they get there. I find it interesting how in any project that God brings all the right people to the project, and the same in our local church. That God brings together the right people at the right time to serve, whether it's in trustees or in community group leadership or whatever the role is, in order to shepherd the people and manage the resources or manage a building project or analyze all these things that need to be done. We have people that specialize in legal matters, people in financial matters, and we have all those things in our church that is the way God designs the body to work. Praise the Lord for that. Well, it's the same. Ezra chapter 2, God's doing the same thing here. But God's now leading back this group, 40-something thousand people. The next list, besides this leadership team, is the people. In Ezra chapter 2, verse 3, it says that the number of the men of the people of Israel. And the next several verses say, well, it's the people of this and the people of that, the people, people, people. You don't see their specific role or function. It's just the people. But here's what's interesting about them. They are all people whose spirit God had stirred, who responded to God to now go back. And they want to be a part of what God's doing. The next group of people called out were the priests in verse 36. The priests, the sons of Jedidiah, the house of Jeshua. Now what is it that the priests do? What's so specific? Because we need to know... Because in the New Testament, we are called the priesthood of believers. So we do in the New Testament, in our life today, we do the function of a priest in the New Testament time frame. Compared to the old. Well, what did they do? Well, a priest would be one who would offer sacrifices. Well, we don't obviously go slaughter animals and put blood on things. But instead, we are called in Romans chapter 12, to present ourselves, our own lives, as living sacrifices before God. So we become the sacrifice. The priests were the ones who would trim the lamps, keep the oil always burning, which was uh, the aspect of with the incense and with the prayers. The priests were always to be interceding in prayer. Well, so are we. We are to be praying without ceasing. The priests were the ones who would be the proclaimers of God's truth and the keepers of the law. Well, that's what we do is we proclaim God's words. So that, like I'm doing now or as any of you would do as we um, instruct one another in the word. The priests were critical because they were going to reestablish temple worship. So God sends back a group of priests. God sends a group of Levites. Now the Levites, in verse 40, the sons of Jeshua and Cadmiel, these are the ones from the tribe of Levi, of course. The Levites would serve in the temple. They were servants to the priest. Now, know something here, that all priests came from the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites were priests. 
So let me say that again. All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. But the Levites were unique because we can liken ourselves to them in some respects. Because when, whenever they went into the promised land and all the land was dis, uh, distributed and then all the inheritances were given, the Levites did not inherit any property. Their inheritance was God Himself and to serve the Lord in the temple. Well, that's us. We're, we don't inherit physical property. That's not God's calling for the church. No. We inherit God Himself. We are the servants and servants unto the priest, and we all have different functions and different order. But the bottom line is, we're here to serve the Lord and establish worship, establishing God's worth-ship. In verse 41, the singers. Why do you need singers on a building project? Because it was critical that the voice of praise was always taking place. It's a priority to God. Why do we walk in here every Sunday morning the first thing we do is begin to lift up our voices in praise because God is worthy of it, but we follow the patterns that you see throughout Scripture. It's the voice of praise that whether you're in the middle of construction, in the middle of trouble, in the middle of ministry, whatever you're doing, this song of praise is to be called out all the time. God even put it in the hearts to send the singers back. In verse 42, He sent back the sons of the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers, as Jesus would say, were the watchmen. Watch and pray, as Jesus said. These are the prayer warriors, as we would see in any local church. Many of you, I would call that, because you're observant. When something is said, you catch it and know that that is something that needs to be taken before the Lord. When you're reminded or asked, would you, be, would you be willing to pray over some matter? You pray over it and then loop back around and find out, hey, what did God say there? And how did, what did God do? Those are prayer warriors. They're with you all the way. They, they keep track of things very careful. They're vigilant in their prayer life and vigilant knowing where the enemy is always at pursuit trying to usurp and tear things up. Then you have this in verse 43, the Nethanims. These are the uh, servants. That's really what the term means. They were the ones that would cut wood, bring in water, and then they provide that to the Levites who would then provide that to the priest. This is the group of servants that are working completely behind the scenes that you really never pay much attention to. Now, nothing's going to function and be correct in order if the Nethanims didn't do their job. But no one really ever stands them up and gives them a big hand for the fact Woo, you hauled water and cut wood today. But would you want to try to do ministry without them? <laughs> no way. You couldn't. It would be impossible. They took care of the menial task. What's the lesson? The lesson behind this is obvious. God is in the business of building this temple for His glory. He's returning people back. He is the God of mercy, sending people back by His grace to experience a revival, to experience God personally, to establish the glory of God in that place once again by just being obedient and following after the Lord. And what does God do? He puts together, because God is orderly, all the right people to accomplish His task. 
stirs up their spirit so that they were compelled by God, not just the good idea of man, but they were compelled by God to go back and do this. And so what's the lesson? It's obvious. The, the Lord in a, any church like ours, what does He do? He brings together a, a variety of people from all different backgrounds, different personalities, different engiftments for His purpose, for His mission, for His glory. And we're all different. And we either embrace that recognizing that everyone brings something to the table that's super helpful and you wouldn't dare want to try to do ministry without that. But it's critical. Every mission and every person is critical. And is what's beautiful about it is God sees fit to record these individuals' names that we would read through this big long list in Ezra and these same names are repeated again in Nehemiah. This is a big deal that God would record these for eternity that we can see them and I'm telling you that the ministry that you have is just as significant as what we're reading about here in Ezra chapter 2. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writing to the church explains this, and he said, For I say through the grace given to me to, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let's use them. If prophecy, let's, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, or he who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In, in Romans, Paul just walks through and shows that God has given the diversity of all these gifts just like he did in Ezra chapter 2, and they're building a building, and we are building a kingdom. But God has diversified these gifts for his purpose and his glory. He's the one who distributed them. And he capstone this whole statement with, we might tend to think that some gifts are more important because certainly some have more upfrontness to them. But he makes it real clear, don't let anyone think more highly than he ought to think. Because quite frankly, we're all in this. Jesus is the head, we are the body, and we're all just body parts that have to work together to accomplish God's purpose. And it's unto His glory. Ephesians 4 reminds us of this, that be it, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up into Him in all things, um, who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love and here's the beauty of this when the whole body and everyone has their part and you're functioning doing your part you may think it's small but it's not small you may think it doesn't matter but it totally matters to God and it matters to the church try living without one of your parts working right on your body and you realize how important that little part is I say this because often I think, having been on both sides of missions and mission teams and all this, that sometimes you might feel like, well, gosh, I don't, I'm just not ever going to probably get on an airplane and go do that. And that sounds like, that's like 
That's the elite Christianity stuff, is to, to go all over the place and do ministry in other countries of the world. No, there's nothing elite about it. Just servants that have a chance to go to another place, to join on with another servant in another place, to further the kingdom of God. And what happens right here at home, it happens in your home, and happens out there in children's ministry right now, somebody sitting down and teaching little ones the Bible, and the importance of someone that's going to hand you the bulletin today so you can keep up with what's happening and be engaged in the community of our church. And sometimes we make outreach op- have outreach opportunities in our community, and there's things that go on all the time that no one even knows you're a part of all that. But every bit of it matters, the big ones and the small ones. But it's all the same, building unto the kingdom of God for His glory. And it edifies or builds up the body when each does his share. So I'm going to ask you, first question today was this, to contemplate, is is your name written in the book of life? And the second one is, how has God granted you His grace to minister And what does your ministry look like? Is it a ministry of service? Ministry of helps? Do you help administrate things? Do you teach things? Are you a watchman who's a prayer warrior? What does your ministry look like that builds the body of Christ? And if God's gifted you and entrusted you with resources for His kingdom's sake, and right now you're not utilizing those, or maybe you don't know how to utilize those, well, let's talk about that. Because there's so much could be accomplished in our community and around this world that your gift is absolutely essential to accomplish that. You may not realize it yet, but it is. And that's one of the reasons I believe God records all these people's names in Ezra 2 that now here we are living in a New Testament context can see the vitality of every individual in the local church. You matter. Whatever your capacities might be. Now let's go back to the name list. We're not done yet. One thing that's essential is that every name that you see had a lineage that they could trace. Because this was a movement of God to send Israel back to rebuild. Every name needs to bear witness. In verse 59, these were the ones who came up, and I have cut out a lot of names and pieces out of this, but they could not identify their father's house or their genealogy, whether they were of Israel. Well, that's a problem. We're with you, but they have no trace of their genealogy. In verse 61, you have the sons of the priests, the sons of Habiah, and these sought their listings among those who were registered by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled, and the governor, who is Zerubbabel, said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till a priest could... could, Excuse me... could consult with the Urim and Thummim. Well, here's the problem. You had these individuals who came along as part of the priest group wanting to do priestly work and priestly service. 
where they're being careful to the details to be able to show your lineage that this is the right ministry for you. Well, they could not bear their lineage. They could not show their genealogy. And so for the protectorate of the, of the priestly responsibilities, because God had very specifically called that out as for the Levite group, they were put away from the priesthood until it could be confirmed whether or not they should be serving in that capacity or not. Now, the, the way this is described is that the priest would consult with Urim and Thummim, and there's all kinds of theories about what that is, but there's some kind of a deal on the breastplate of the priest that God would... Uh, communicate through this medium that he would know what was right and what was wrong and what's true and what's not. So going into all the details about that, I'm not going to do that today. But here at the bottom line is, these are individuals that could not substantiate their genealogy, but they're part of the team. You know what this likens to, and I've seen this through the years of my life, are those that come, they come along for the ride of what the ministry is, but have no relationship with Jesus. The genealogy to trace their roots back as a son of God, to say that I belong in the family of God, well, they just don't have the, they don't have the genealogy for that. And I say genealogy is not because your parents or grandparents were Christians. I'm talking about for you. And here's why I say this, because the scripture says that when we by faith trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, 1 John says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we would be called sons of God. Well, how are we called sons of God? We're called sons of God by faith when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So that becomes my lineage, my genealogy is to Jesus. And I know that. My name's written in the book. I know that because of what the Scripture tells me. But I've watched through the years, I used to see this in college ministry a lot, where students would come into a college ministry and they, maybe they weren't accepted in this group or that one, and so they found community in the group we had. Well, over time, you learn to sing the songs, you say all the right words, you go on all the trips, you do all the activities. And it seems like you're just part of the team. Until finally, it's like sit down one day and have an exchange of, of testimony, share with me your story about when you came to know Christ. There's no story. There's no relationship. They've just been a part of something for a long time. Hey, this could be you. Been around church for who knows how long. You know the songs, you know the words, you know the vernacular, you know what we're going to do. You're a part. But you don't have the genealogy to Jesus. Because maybe by faith you've never trusted Jesus. You've just been a good church person. This message today is for you to talk about. Is your name written in the book? The book of life? Do you know it for sure? Can you trace your genealogy to Jesus? And you know? And if you don't, let me just tell you how you can know. If you came down this aisle right now and just said, Dwayne... What do I need to, how do you become a Christian? How can I know these things? The scripture makes it so simple. God, because of his great love, by his grace, sent his own son to this earth on a mission to rescue you. We have all sinned. We have all, we're all separate from God because of our sin. 
Not a one of us can pay God back for our sin debt. And so God sent His own Son to pay our sin debt. And the payment was death. Jesus died on a cross to pay my debt, to pay yours. To prove that He was God, different than all the other religious figures of the world who have died doing their campaign or revolutionaries for something, Jesus died and three days later resurrected. And those who believe on Him and His name, to them gave He power to be called sons of God. So when I come to the Lord and confess Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner, I need you to save me, and I know I cannot save myself, but only Jesus can. The Lord hears your prayer. He receives you as you have received Him. And as what's beautiful about it now is He even indwells you. The Spirit of the living God now moves to live inside of you. And so God promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are mine forever. And maybe that's the decision you need to make today. If you're already a Christ follower, how is God prompting your heart, because God's Spirit's always moving, how's God prompting your heart to engage in the revival of God, to see the glory of God revealed, to see His kingdom be built? However God's prompting you, run in that lane. Do what God's given you the gift and the ability to do. Run in your lane. It all works together for His glory. Let's bow our heads and pray. If today's the day you need to make a decision of faith in your life to trust Jesus, you can do that from right in your seat, right where you are, and have a conversation with the Lord. By faith, receive Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior. Father, this morning, we come to your throne knowing that you are God, and we are in great need of your grace. We are thankful for the grace that you've already given in your Son, Jesus. That you would give your life for ours that we may have life in you. And Lord, not only that, you, you've given us a mission and a purpose to our life that as Christ followers, that we're your children and we are to be building your kingdom for your glory. And whether that's right here in this community or going clear around the world to partner with others who are doing the same thing, that we might help them do the same. God, you, you've given it to us as a ministry and a mission. And I thank you for that. And I pray that this morning, Lord, that you would remind us as Christ followers of the, of the engiftment that you've entrusted us with, the skills, the abilities, the resources, that, Lord, we would be focused, that those things would be used for your glory's sake. Lord, that every man and woman would have their hand on the plow to work in the field that you have bought by your own blood. Lord, we love you. We know that it's by your great name that we're saved. 
There is no other name among men whereby we might be saved but the name Jesus Christ. Lord, may we proclaim that name that all may know you're the Savior. Lord, we love you and praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.